This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, Episode 12. On BitcoinAverage.com, a millibit is trading for 51 cents, or $510 per Bitcoin, up significantly from last week's low of $356 per Bitcoin. Things are looking good. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining us today as we podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lid Shaw. We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love to talk about Bitcoins. And share what we learn with you, the listener. Welcome to the show, and thanks for listening. On today's show, Lidge and I travel to Wall Street in the city so nice they named it twice, New York, New York. While there, we enjoy a lively conversation with our good friend, Wall Street Journal reporter Paul Vigna. Paul once again gives us the lowdown on where Bitcoin stands in the Big Apple and where we can expect to see it going in the coming months. Next, we travel to the bustling streets of Fort Greene, New York, for a talk with business owner Dan Lee, whose family owns seven successful businesses that all accept Bitcoin. Dan gives us some insight into how easy it is for a small business to accept Bitcoin and how it really doesn't even make sense not to. So stay right here for more from Bitcoins and Gravy. And remember to call us on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline with your comments or questions at 615-208-5198. Or simply click on the hotline link from your mobile phone when you visit bitcoinsandgravy.com. Or you can email us at howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com. Or you can leave us a message in the comments section of SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. And here we go. So, Lidge, even though the price of Bitcoin has been low over the past couple of weeks and it's been bothering a lot of people, it hasn't bothered me at all. In fact, the other day I just went to CoinStacks again and I bought some more silver coins. Right on, man. Well, John, you are pretty unflappable. So tell us, how was your experience buying silver coins? Well, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. I think it was a compliment. Anyway, it was great. CoinStacks is easy to use. The site is easy to navigate. And I'm looking forward to receiving my silver coins. And if your birthday's coming up, I was thinking maybe I'd give one of them to you if you're good. I got to wait a little while for that, but you know. Now, I will be 21 pretty soon. Hey, oh, you'll be 21? <laughs> wow, that's great. So tell me more about it. Now, you're going to have to wait till a little later in the show. All right, I can do that. All right, cool. Stand by, listeners. We are here once again with our good friend Paul Vigna from the Wall Street Journal. We are thrilled to talk with him again. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. So glad to have you back, Paul. Welcome back to yeah, the show. Yeah, glad to be back. Lots of things in the news uh, as far as Bitcoin goes, right? Yeah, oh my God, a ton. It's <laughs> unbelievable how much is going on. Have you been busy with BitBeat? Oh yeah. Oh, we've been really busy with it. It's, it's, you know, it's doing pretty well. And you know, the last couple of months, I think I'm at the point where I'm almost writing about nothing but Bitcoin. Oh, wow. And my editors have been really cool because you know, they want Bitcoin news. So they've been really cool about letting me do it. You know, my job is supposed to be covering the markets. Uh, I've become almost completely just a Bitcoin reporter. Hey, so tell us what you think about the IRS ruling. And I know that there's a congressman, Steve Stockman, who's asking the IRS to change their ruling and treat Bitcoin as a right. currency. What's going on with that? It's funny. The day that that happened, I called up the IRS. I called up the guy who wrote the note. And I actually was lucky enough to get him on the phone. And I was talking to him about it. And I said to him, you know, what is this going to do? Because it, it's interesting. Like, they, they're in kind of a tough position, the IRS. I mean, they have to say, they have to come up with sort of a concrete decision on what Bitcoin is when it's hard to say what Bitcoin is. I mean, you know, we were at, the, there was a Bitcoin conference up here in New York last week. But Sotman was one guy, he said, go out into that audience or, you know, that group. He said, ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. I mean, there's still a lot of questions about what it is, what it should be, where it's going. So the IRS, I think, had a relatively tough thing that they had to do to come out and just sort of say, this is what it is. I don't know that you can just kind of put Bitcoin into one little bin and say it is this. What they said was that it, it is property. It is more like 
uh, a security, an asset like gold or a stock certificate than it is like currency. In fact, they said it's not currency. So they said it's property. It'll be taxed like property. It'll be taxed like a stock. You know, like a, a stock. You'll have to pay capital gains tax on it, which is okay. You know, I can see that on the one hand, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, it is like a current. It is a currency. I mean, people use it as a currency. So I, I think the IRS missed that. Now, yeah, to get back to what I was initially saying, the day the ruling came out, I called the guy from the IRS who wrote the note. And he said, he said, wow, people who are using it as a currency, they won't have to worry about it. What matters is how you use it, what your intent is in holding the Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, he later came out and said that he misspoke, which wow. is, you know, hmm. or whatever. But I thought that was actually a kind of smart take on it that day. And what's really interesting about that is that uh, last week, I think it was last week, the Brazilian tax authority came out and said exactly that, and literally said that. They said, we are saying that Bitcoin is property for tax purposes, but they carved out an exemption where if you're holding less than the equivalent of $16,000, it was, you know, whatever, 4,500 real, or whatever that is in Bitcoin, the equivalent of $16,000, they carved out an exemption. If you have less than that, and you are just using it to kind of make purchases, and, you know, you don't have to pay the capital gains tax. And I oh, thought that yeah. was an interesting take on it. And I really do think that the IRS is going to revise what they wrote initially at some point. They, they said they wanted comments. They're soliciting comments. They're soliciting opinion. I really do think that they're going to revise what they said initially. I think you're right. Yeah. And tell us the name of the guy who made the statement from the IRS again. I think that got swallowed up by Skype. Oh, yeah. Uh, his name was Keith Aki, A-Q-U-I. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs now, and they see a business angle. They see money to be made. They see a profitable investment. But then you talk to, you know, sort of the more libertarian camp type people. And to them, it's a cause. It's a crusade. It's a reason to make the world better. And that's great. To me as a journalist, it's a story. I think it's a great story. You know, it's a different way of illustrating a lot of the problems we have in the world today. I mean, I don't know whether Bitcoin's going to go somewhere or not go somewhere. I think it's going to go somewhere. I mean, if I had to lean one way or another, I'd yeah. say it's going to go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with that in mind, the IRS ruling, when you know, the concept of it being a property has a lot to do with it going somewhere. And that's certainly why it affects people. What are your feelings about them coming out and saying something at all? Is it better that they came out and said something right. than to have said nothing at oh, all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And a lot of people made that point. They said, look, just the fact that the Internal Revenue Service is acknowledging it as something is a positive. And they're right about that. It is. It's a positive. You know, and you can make a decent argument that it is property, that it is, you know, security and asset. I mean, that's fine. You can make that argument. Sure. Personally, I disagree with it. I think it's currency. Do you think there's a benefit one way or the other? I think it's more beneficial as a currency. I mean, I think its real value is as a payment system, as a way, as a means to do commerce, as a means to do business between people in a digital age. I think it is more valuable in that sense than it is as property. I think it's more valuable. You know, I mean, to say that it's the equivalent of gold or a stock certificate, it's something that you're just kind of using to sit on, you know, the proverbial store of value. I don't think that's where you get the most potential out of Bitcoin. I think you get the most potential out of it as a currency, as, as a, a currency. thing that people use yeah, in their day to day life. You know, the uh, Bitcoin Foundation came out and they said that they think Bitcoin should be considered based on the usage. So if you're using it as a currency, then it's considered a currency and taxed right. accordingly. If you're using it to invest as an investment vehicle or what have you, then it should be treated like a property. And how else is it going to gain value unless it's being used as a means of exchange? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think another aspect of this that it brings up is the fact that Bitcoin, in a lot of ways, it's its own thing. It's a new thing. It is its own thing. And you can't exactly pigeonhole it into these old classifications. And I mean, that might be a far more nuanced view than the Internal Revenue Service would ever take on it. But I think you can make a legitimate argument that this is an absolutely new thing and you should consider it as a new thing rather than just try to say, oh, it's property, oh, it's currency, so it'll be taxed like this or that. You know, I would really, I would love to see them actually just say, you know, we understand that this is a new thing and we're going to 
try to figure it out on its own merit. I don't know that they'll do that, but that would be interesting. It would. So what Stockman's doing, how do you think that's going to fare? Have you seen any historical precedent set where the IRS reversed anything? Not yet. And I mean, he even said to me, he said, look, I'm not trying to get this passed. I just kind of want to drum up conversation. And to that extent, he might be successful. It's funny, I talked to two other congressmen during last week, too. And, you know, this is something that some folks in Congress are really starting to look at. They're really interested in. They're, you know, beyond, you know, the IRS issue, especially, but beyond the IRS issue, what is Bitcoin and what should we do about it? I think the IRS was in sort of a difficult position. They had to say something. I think it was the first move. I don't think it'll be their last thing. It'll be interesting, too, to see what happens in Congress, because you really do have a couple of people in Congress, and they seem genuinely interested in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they don't seem like they're trying to just get a handle on it in terms of how can we control this. And look, I mean, I can only tell you what my impression of talking to them, but they seemed genuinely interested in learning about it, figuring out what the value of it is and how they could help. Finally, they're admitting it's not tulips anymore, right? And it's not a Ponzi scheme. It's a real thing. And you see all the infrastructure, all the venture capital coming into it. Hey, these guys aren't goofing around. They're coming into it for a reason, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every day, another business doing this, another operation doing this, people Mm -hmm. doing this. I mean, this has legs. And again, I have to tell you guys I'm preaching to the choir, and I would imagine your your listeners feel the same way, but this, this is just starting. Well, you know, hearing this yeah. from you, for some of our listeners, a lot of our listeners are new to Bitcoin, and they don't really know what to think. So to hear Paul Vigna from the Wall Street Journal saying, hey, this thing has legs, yeah. that's huge. They know it's up and running, and just the whole image of it having legs. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so No, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> In that uh, spirit of recognizing Bitcoin and knowing it's here to stay, you know, there's also this issue of trying to take this new technology and put old ideas on it. And you were writing about, um, you know, Jeremy. Miller, um, I guess that was at the Inside Bitcoins conference in New York, where they're talking about, you know, really supporting the idea of regulating it in some form or other. I mean, it seemed that the recent New York conference may have been more focused on uh, the legality of Bitcoin than, say, the Texas conference or Miami in the past. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the New York conference, I mean, look, this is New York, this is the financial capital. The money smells something and they go to it. This conference last year, They held it in a hotel ballroom and really had a big sort of counterculture feeling about it. Very passionate, very, you know, very Kent Revival, you know, Mm -hmm. a a definite vibe. This year, they held it at the Javits Center because it got so much bigger. And you still had that. You still had that. I mean, people are very passionate about Bitcoin and that's not going to change. But on top of that, you had a lot of money talking. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. And, and the Allaire speech, I actually, I wasn't there for that. My partner, Mike Casey, wrote that up. So I okay. can't really speak to that as, as well. But you definitely had a sense that these guys are P&L, profit and loss businessmen. They smell opportunity. They smell a real opportunity. And they are going to put money into this thing with, you know, the, the goal of, of building a long-term uh, system, you yeah. know, a, a long-term ecosystem, you want to call it or whatever, but a, a long-term profitable business that is part of this entire world of digital currency. Yeah, make sure the sandbox has got some sides on it, a little bit of a safety to the playground aspect, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's a great way to describe it. Exactly. I mean, they're they are definitely building the sides of the sandbox. Let me ask you what you think about China and the People's Bank of China. Do you think, uh, according to the article that you wrote on BitBeat, do you think that they are softening? And is that something that's coming down from the government or is it a banking you know, thing? What's going on there? Help us understand China. <laughs> yeah, help us understand China. I often feel like most of what's going on in the Bitcoin world is happening all the way across the world, and it really doesn't have anything to do with me over here. (laughs) It's such a squirrely thing, what's going on in China. And one of the guys, the CEO of BTC China, his name is Bobby Lee. And and they're, you know, they're big Bitcoin exchange over there. What's going on is that it appears that the People's Bank of China, kind of through back channels, has told private banks in China that they should not be handling Bitcoin-denominated business. So deposits, transaction services, all that kind of stuff 
they don't want the banks handling. Okay. But again, it's all apparent. You know, there's been no announcement that that's the case. A lot of rumor. Yeah. So some of these other exchanges, though, have gotten notices from banks saying we're not going to handle, we're not going to take deposits, we're not going to do transaction services. But BTC China, Bobby Lee, has not gotten any messages like that. So it's a weird thing. It appears to be sort of a back-channel effort. So some banks are getting the message, maybe. Some banks aren't. The head of the People's Bank, he, in a speech, he said something along the lines of, we will not outlaw Bitcoin. And everybody got excited about that. So you have these sort of conflicting mixed messages about what the state of Bitcoin really is in China. One thing I guess you can take away is that it is not going to be banned. They can make it harder to do business in China. And that's one of the things that, that Bobby Lee said. He said, look, even if they're doing this sort of in a back-channel way, that has an effect. That makes it harder for us to do business. Yeah. So even if they don't come right out and ban it, this is not an unusual way for the People's Bank to actually conduct business, hmm. kind of do these things through back-channels. Interesting. It seems that they're not exactly comfortable with Bitcoin, but they don't want to ban it outright. Right. I mean, that's just, that's my take on it from everything I've read and the people I've talked to. Yeah, I keep wondering if the United States, China, Russia, I keep wondering if these countries are looking at each other and watching each other and saying, hey, let's wait and see exactly what they do over the next year or two, and then let's make a decision based on that. What do you think about that? Any of the countries looking at what the other countries are doing? I don't know, because I think, you know, there's like a visceral reaction in places like Russia and China where they want to tightly control things. Um, right. You know, Russia already came out and said, look, the ruble's a currency, that's it. So mm-hmm. I don't know that they're really looking towards the United States to see what the U.S. is going to do about it. But, I mean, maybe, you know, when you think about Western world government, yeah, some of them are probably looking at each other, saying, I wonder what they're doing about it. Mm-hmm. I think there's some element of that. But also there's, you know, especially in government, they're still just wrapping their heads around it. You know, the ones that kind of get it, that are clued in already and are, are interested in it, I think, yeah, I'm sure they're looking overseas to see what's going on. But I don't know that you have sort of any kind of, you know, institutional response to it in terms of one way or the other. Let's see what, you know, China does or let's not care about what China does. I like to imagine governments having uh, briefings. You know, they have a Bitcoin briefing once a week. So the leader of the country calls the Bitcoin group in and they say, okay, brief me on what's going on with Bitcoin this week. And they brief them and they shake their heads and they leave for lunch. I don't know. Hey, do you guys watch Portlandia? I love Portlandia. I haven't seen it recently, but tell us, has Bitcoin made it into Portland? You talk about Bitcoin being absorbed into the popular culture, this kind of thing. Yeah, they made a a Bitcoin reference on an episode of Portlandia. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife saw it and she played it for me later. She said, yeah, you got to see this. You know, they made a very brief reference to Bitcoin in a bit about, no pun intended, a bit, uh, a couple that was, they started treating each other as lovingly as they treated the dog. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're like, we're stale. Why don't we ever see, you know, they love the dog, but they don't love each other. So they treat each other like the dog. And there was a little reference to Bitcoin in there. And my wife had to show it to me because she said, I've never seen anyone besides you talk about this. (laughs) Did they end it by saying cacao? Another Portlandia reference. Yeah, Portlandia, it's a really funny show. To me, a lot of it is more than just a technology. It's something that grabs people on a very visceral level and they respond to it and they see something in it that fills a gap that they perceive in the real world. And I think that's why you see so much passion around it. And to me, that's a very interesting aspect of it. And to me, I think that is something that is only going to grow as well. Uh, do you see that same sort of reaction in any other markets or any other currencies? Or is this, this no, is, seems like it's pretty unique no, no, in that aspect. Nobody, nobody writes songs about PayPal. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, you guys, had, you guys had Laura on. She did her, her song. You oh, know? yeah. Laura I sing, a, I sing a sad yeah. song about PayPal when I, when I need it. Yeah. And you introduced us to Laura Sagers. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, she was wonderful. Yeah. It was great to have her on the show. Thank you for that. Yeah, and you guys did your song. That's a sign of something that is more than just a technology. Yeah. yeah. Well, what what else do you see in the Bitcoin arts? You know, I mean, you know, a topic that comes up for me a lot in the music industry is how is Bitcoin going to come along and help out the music industry or any of the arts? The arts exist in this world of digital distribution, sort of a, a diminishing value in a certain way. And so it'd be wonderful to see if this stuff can help in those markets. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah. There was a Canadian funk electronica band. I'm, I'm blanking on their name now. I wrote a little thing about them a couple of weeks ago. 
they started selling an album through a BitTorrent site hmm. and taking Bitcoin for it. Nice. And I thought that was a really interesting way to go about it. And they did it again. They said, look, you know, their business manager, I think, was the first guy that knew about Bitcoin. And they thought it was interesting. They wanted to try it out. And actually, I haven't gotten back to them, so I don't know how the experiment went. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how things like that turn out. You wrote something, Paul, about, I think in one of your articles, how Bitcoin was a payment option last week for the attendees at the Security Traders Association of New York's annual dinner and conference. Is that right? The New York State Securities Traders Association took Bitcoin as a payment. You could pay with Bitcoin. And it was funny. One of the reasons my, my buddy, Mike Casey, he talked to the guys organizing it, and one of the things they said was, Look around the room. They said this to Mike. They said, look around the room. Look at the average age of these guys. We have to figure out a way to bring the younger guys into our organization. And they thought Bitcoin was one way to do that because, it's, you know, you would think a younger crowd would be more clued into that. So they, they took Bitcoin as payment for the dinner. Do you know if it worked? I do think it worked to an extent. I don't know how successful it was. I mean, I think they definitely got some Bitcoin-related business. Some is some is good. Some is good in Bitcoin. So, yeah, sure. some of the people yeah. there were definitely interested because they, you know, there were a couple of sort of heated debates going on about it. So there were people on different sides of it. So there were definitely some younger people there that were interested yeah. in it. I wanted to ask you a little bit about what your feelings were about some of these um, things that are considered next in the world of Bitcoin and blockchains and stuff like that. You've got all these things like BitShares and MasterCoin and ColoredCoin and Ethereum, and you hear about these new developments in Bitcoin, which are less currency and more you know, ways to have uh, decentralized shares. And to me, that strikes of, you know, traditional market, but in a decentralized way. So I thought you might have some comment, you you know, strong feelings about that. I think that is amazingly nascent. I mean, it's really just starting. Yeah. But the potential is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, it is just, you know, you sit down, I I sat down, uh, actually, it was a dinner Monday night around the Bitcoin conference that I got invited to. And uh, I ended up talking to one of these guys, an entrepreneur, and I mean, the things he was saying were just, I mean, you talk about (laughs) decentralized corporations, it's not a technological leap at all. It might be a psychological leap, but it's not a technological leap. I mean, you can see where the blockchain can be used as a, a, a ledger of property, as a ledger of housing deeds and stock certificates and all these things. It's amazing because all it really does is it takes a value, fixes it in time and space, and assigns it to an owner. Yeah, And exactly. that's it. And, you know, it gets used now for Bitcoin, the currency, but there's no reason it can't be used for anything. And there are people who are absolutely focused on this, and they are working to make this happen. The only thing that would keep it from happening is, again, the same thing as, as what keeps people from getting involved in Bitcoin in the first place is, is just that whole trust issue. Do you trust this math-based encryption, cryptography-based system. And once you get past that, yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason that you would. I was talking with a young woman in finance the other day, and she had never heard of Bitcoin, or she'd heard of it peripherally anyway. So I said to her, look, here's what it does. Here's what Bitcoin, the blockchain, is capable of doing. For the very first time in the history of the world, you're able to take value and pass it to somebody else right next to you or on the other side of the world without a third party, without a middleman there. And it's a guaranteed transaction that everybody can see, verified by everybody that can view it on the public ledger. And I finally had her understand it. But when she finally understood it, her first comment was, oh, this is going to be a nightmare for money laundering. (laughs) And I said, you know, it's like, why can't you think about the positive things of it? So the very next thing I said to her was, well, think about the blockchain as a way for nonprofit organizations to be able to say to the people who have donated to them, look, here's where your money is, here's where your money's going, and you can track it from the time you donate to us until the time it goes out to the people that we're giving it to. And I think that right there is so much more important than worrying about the people who are going to do nefarious things and worrying about the money laundering. For me, that's kind of like television thinking versus real world. How can we help each other thinking? I thought you were going to say that finally when she understood it, the bill came and she looked at it and said, how, how are we going to pay for this, John? <laughs> I said, we're going Dutch, honey. We're going Dutch. <laughs> Break out the blockchain. 
Oh man! Any other final words, Paul? Final words of wisdom for us, man? You're you're right there, the heartbeat of Wall Street, the bit beat, right? And man, we would love yeah. to be there. I mean, we're in Nashville, and you know, it's small potatoes here as far as what goes on in the world of finance or Bitcoin. But man, you are right there, and that must be exciting on so many different levels. Yeah, it is. But you know, what's funny is I kind of want to get down to you guys. Oh, come on, <laughs> come on down. I'm, I'm I'm not kidding. Like I'm I'm interested in. Seeing, like I've only seen it from the perspective of being here in Manhattan. Like I want to come down to you guys and see what it's like outside of here. You, you might yeah. have a, a grass is greener thing going on, but but I do too. Well, the grass is actually pretty green here right now. It it's, really it's is. Spring I'm, has I'm sprung sure it in, is. in East Nashville. And you are always welcome here, Paul. We always love having you back on the show, and we look forward to having you here again. In fact, if you'd ever like to, we would love to have you on the show along with another guest or another couple of guests and have a discussion at some point. I would love to, man. I love the show. I really do. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, hey, Paul, give our regards to... Uh, Broadway and Wall Street and every other street there in New York City, man. Thank you so much. I'll be walking down there later today, so I will. Oh, man, that's great. All right, great. great. Well, thank you so much, Paul. We'll talk to you soon, and I look forward to reading what you write. Yep. All right, fellas. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Paul. Paul, would you like to tell our listeners one last time how they can find you? Yeah, I write for the Money Beat blog on the Wall Street Journal, so just wsn.com slash Money Beat. I think that's the URL. And uh, my Twitter handle is just at Paul Vigna, my name, or you want to follow me on Twitter. And we do a show, a daily show on WSJ Live, also called Money Beat. So I'm easily accessible. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon and enjoy the spring up there. All right, talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lid Shaw. We're two guys from East Nashville, Tennessee, who love talking about Bitcoin. Join us for Bitcoins and Gravy right here on KCAA 1050 AM each Monday night at 5 p.m. as we talk with business owners around the country and around the world who are using Bitcoins right now to grow their businesses. We interview Bitcoin experts about cutting-edge developments, the future of Bitcoin the currency, and Bitcoin the shared network. We also talk with everyday folks who use Bitcoins instead of money for everyday purchases. And if you're still not sure about Bitcoins, we can help. Bitcoins and Gravy will get you up to speed with this new fast-paced technology, Bitcoin. We invite you, the listener, to call us on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline at 615-208-5198 with your questions or comments about Bitcoin. And remember to tune in right here to KCAA 1050 AM every Monday night at 5 p.m. for Bitcoins and Gravy. Mm -mm -mm. Now that's gravy. This is John Barrett, and I've got a message for you. I bought my first silver coins online from CoinStacks in October of last year. Then just last week, I bought some Buffalo Silver Rounds, which are a really beautiful one-ounce silver coin that looks like a big old buffalo nickel. But the best part was paying with Bitcoin. I'm telling you, turning my Bitcoin into one-ounce silver coins made me feel like a modern-day alchemist. And I love CoinStacks because they only offer products that are in stock, so you get your silver or gold fast. That's right, fully insured, fast shipping within five business days. So look, when it comes to diversifying, a portfolio and protecting your wealth, let's get real. There's no better way that I know of right now than investing in gold and silver and Bitcoin, of course. So take a tip from John here at Bitcoins and Gravy and leverage some of that Bitcoin. Buy gold or silver online today from Coinstacks.com. That's C-O-I-N-S-T-A-X, Coinstacks.com. On today's Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline, we get a call from Matt in Dallas, Texas. Matt tells us how excited he is about solar coins. Hey, Liz and John. My name's Matt, and I'm coming to you from sunny Dallas, Texas. Uh, I've definitely listened to your show for quite a while now, about as long as you can, and I'm, I'm excited about it. I can't believe you guys are doing this. Thank you for uh, getting some good coverage from East Tennessee or, I guess, the Nashville area. Um, I want to definitely hear more about solar coins. Uh, I know you guys have already done a piece on solar coins, but personally, I would love to hear more information about it all the time. I really think that it is the alt currency of the future. Uh, it's really the only current heard of in the crypto world that has a built-in gold standard. So I'm really excited about it. Personally, I've started mining the coins since listening to your show. I think there's a little bit less than 
400 total miners in the world at this point right now. So I definitely think that the coverage is still really, really young. But I think in a year, it's going to be a really exciting technology. So I hope you guys will bring on more experts about Solar Coin, uh, maybe the Solar Coin Foundation themselves. Uh, but anyway, keep doing a great job, guys. You're doing fantastic. Thank you for supporting this community. And uh, hopefully we'll hear more about Solar Coin soon. Thank you, guys. Matt, thanks so much for calling in on the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline. Next episode, we're also going to be bringing you comments from SoundCloud or email us at howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com. Today, Lidge and I are speaking with Dan Lee in Fort Greene, New York. Dan's family owns a number of businesses, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, that each one of those businesses accepts Bitcoin. Is that right? That is correct. Wow, that's great. Welcome to the show, Dan. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. We're glad to have you on here, and this is pretty exciting news to hear about this zone of stores you've created. Yes, indeed. So, Dan, tell us about your stores, your family, how you guys got involved in Bitcoin, and how you started accepting Bitcoin. Well, uh, luckily, I actually come from, I guess, a small business background. My parents and I, we've been in the Fort Greene area for close to 30 years, and so we've been in this area for quite a while. My parents started with uh, an all-natural organic grocery store, and we have three going on five now. Uh, We also own a uh, a gourmet pizza shop, a Japanese-Asian fusion cuisine restaurant, and a nail salon. So we've been uh, we've been in the Fort Green area ever since then. My whole goal with Bitcoin was to really just kind of get it promoted. It was kind of a novel idea initially, just to kind of see what kind of feedback we would get from it, to see what it would work in a kind of real world brick and mortar type setting. That's great. That's really cool. That's an amazing list of businesses that you guys have They're all accepting Bitcoin. That would be quite an outing to go and, uh, and get all those things. Let's go. Tell us a little bit about Fort Greene. What is that demographic like? I mean, is there anything particular about the location where you are that Bitcoin might be more or less accepted than other places? Yeah, Fort Greene has a lot of history behind it. The changes, you know, when we first arrived and to see where it is today is complete 360 degree. Like it's uh, it's night and day. Believe it or not, Fort Greene used to be actually be one of the worst neighborhoods in New York City. And today where it is probably one of the most sought after locations in all of Brooklyn. Wow, which means it's not cheap to live there, right? It is absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a description of East Nashville. It's, it's changing rapidly compared to when I moved here 14 years ago. Years ago. So tell us, are any of these particular businesses seeing a higher use of Bitcoin than the others? Well, I can tell you that the store that does the most volume in terms of Bitcoin transactions is actually our uh, all-natural organic grocery store. We've been accepting Bitcoins at all the locations now for over a year. I would say for the first, you know, few months or so, we didn't have a single transaction. You know, I had the signs up and, you know, I was talking to people when they came in about it. A lot of questions, a lot of things in terms of, you know, what it was, how to use it, what the benefits were and things like that. But there was not a single transaction probably for the first, I would say, two, three months. And then uh, we had one person that uh, somehow heard about it, made his way down, and uh, actually took a picture, posted it on Twitter, Instagram, and put it on Reddit. And uh, honestly, I, I, I actually I have to give a lot of credit to Reddit, actually, because uh, it was probably because of Reddit that uh, where we started seeing an uptick in volume on the number of transactions for Bitcoin. Reddit seems to be the original Bitcoin zone, or at least in my experience, it is. Oh, yeah. It was honestly, over the course of, I would say, maybe a week, it was night and day in terms of, you know, the person that, uh, the customer that originally posted it, he came by the store the other day, you know, probably a few days afterwards, and was like, oh, I put it on Reddit, and there's been a tremendous response, and then from there on out, it, it went from, you know, not one single transaction to now we probably average, you know, five a day between all the stores. That's that's fantastic. That's wow. fantastic. That shows great resilience and patience on your part, too, to put it up there for the stores and then just kind of have the faith that it will come around. If you build it, it will come. <laughs> yeah, right. in a way, it was it was kind of like that because you know people that are you know that enjoy or you know that want to utilize Bitcoin, they're very passionate about it and they'll actively seek out businesses that are willing to accept it. I know a few customers off the top of my head where you know they say that they're fully vested in Bitcoin and so they actually travel from Manhattan to Brooklyn every week to do their grocery shopping, to you know have a dinner out and, and do things like that. So, what initially got you interested in Bitcoin? Where did you first hear about it, and how did you convince your parents? parents, hey, this is something we should do. Well, I actually, uh, I first heard about Bitcoin through a friend of mine. It was probably towards the end of 2009. You know, he's heavily into computers, programming, development, and he touched into cryptocurrencies before. And so it was one of those things where in passing, he mentioned it to me. He's an avid believer.
receiver in it. And it was one of those situations to where kind of dumb luck on my part in the sense that, you know, that I was able to kind of put a little bit of faith in what he told me about it. And uh, other than that, it was really along the lines of it made news when it hit Yahoo front page, I think is where I read it. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, I had because I hadn't heard anything on it since then. And it was one of those things where we happened to be doing a complete renovation at the store. And uh, we were doing a major overhaul with uh, the point of sale systems and everything. And I thought it would be kind of uh, honestly kind of a cool gimmick to kind of see what would happen if we were to do something like that and so i uh i went up to my parents i said hey you know i i think that you know let's try and accept bitcoin and you know obviously they had no idea what that was and so i told them you know if if by when everything's said and done if it tanks and it bottoms out i'll cover whatever was purchased in bitcoin so that there's no risk element on your end so they were like okay let's try it and at that time I'm trying to remember what it was trading at but needless to say i mean you know my parents were pretty happy once uh <laughs> once everything started kind of climbing upwards there well man you've got cool parents that they were able to grasp what you were talking about and and agree to start accepting bitcoins that's pretty neat yeah, no, I give them a lot of credit. I mean, they, you know, uh, my parents have always kind of been open-minded in terms of that. Like, for example, even the organic grocery store, this is something uh, way before Whole Foods. This is something, you know, where we were the first, you know, all-natural organic grocery store in Brooklyn. Actually, one of the first in quite a while, because we're talking 25 years ago, you know, we would have people that actually would travel from the city to do organic grocery shopping just because there weren't any options available at that time. Brooklyn is amazing for organic groceries. My brother's in Brooklyn, and, and they're part of a co-op there that I know has been around for a while, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Co-ops are very, definitely very a very big thing, especially here in Brooklyn. I mean, just in Fort Greene, you, I, I know of, you know, two or three that's right around the area that, that do very well, that have a lot of support from the community and the neighborhood. And uh, it's just, it's one of those things to where Brooklyn, culturally, ethnically, I mean, there's so much diversity in, in you know, all around. And it's kind of one of those things where cohesively as a community, you kind of see people drawing together towards the organic, all-natural side of it. And so it's uh, it's been fun to watch. Watch. It's been fun. Do you also find people in the neighborhood drawing closer together when it comes to Bitcoin, the Bitcoin community? So do you all feel like you're trendsetters there? You know, it's funny. I actually, um, I don't think Brooklyn is there yet in terms of that. And the reason being, uh, the reason why I say that is because uh, I know in the city, in Manhattan, there's quite a few Bitcoin communities and groups that have formed. And I know that they meet regularly and there's some large ones. And I know a few people that have actually tried to start a Bitcoin meetup group in Brooklyn that, you know, that has had some success, but not nearly the amount that they've had in uh, in Manhattan. So, I mean, I definitely think it'd be it'd be great to see. I'm definitely a proponent of it. I've always, you know, anyone that's ever came to me and said, hey, you know, we'd like to do something like a Bitcoin meetup group. Can we do it at your restaurant? And, you know, I've done it a few times for them. And it's, uh, you know, I'd, I definitely would love to see it grow and expand more. Well, I got an idea. Why don't you just open up another pizza place right here in East Nashville and we'll help you out. Oh, there you go. That's it, man. Hey, I'll toss pizzas if we're going to accept Bitcoins there, man. I'm ready. Yeah, it's actually funny. The the couple that was traveling around the world with Bitcoin, they stopped by Lean Crust when they came to New York. Oh, yeah. Those guys were in the news, right? Yeah, they were. So Wall Street Journal was following them around. So they did a little piece on us about that as well, too. Um, and it's been funny. I want to say after... After we started accepting it, um, Bitcoin started making the news. And sure enough, I would say within the course of between August and November, I probably did 30 interviews with TV, newspaper, local papers. And the, the media attention that it got in such a short period of time was phenomenal. And, you know, obviously that was, uh, you know, but my whole thing was at that point, you know, especially when doing interviews was, you know, there's there's still I would still they'll say less than 5% of the population actually know about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And um, to see, and I, th I feel that there's a lot of, you know, misguided information that's being kind of shot out. And so um, it's, it's, it's been, you know, it's been an obstacle that uh, I think that uh, the Bitcoin community has kind of been dealing with, especially in the fact that the association and stigma that's still kind of associated with it even now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sad. 
Have you thought of having an ATM in one of your stores or getting involved in that in any way to try and get more of your customers access to Bitcoin? Yeah, so I looked into uh, I looked into the RoboCoin unit and uh, they require a money transmitter license. It was just a little bit more legwork that I wanted to kind of put into at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also looked into, I think it's called a Lavaso machine because I was at the Bitcoin convention in Las Vegas. Um, and that's when I first learned about the Lamaso machine. And uh, they, they were just saying, you know, just uh, it differs from state to state on what the requirements are. And so um, I held off at that point. But uh, actually, it's funny because I guess of the number of businesses that we do have that accept Bitcoin, I've probably set up over 200 people with wallets and sold them Bitcoins and, and, and stuff like that. Wow, you're, be- you're becoming a Bitcoin consultant, a bit consultant. It's, it's kind of funny, on, you know, where they would come and, you know, either ask me about it or, you know, I'd be happy to be at the stores or at the restaurant and, you know, or they would ask for me specifically because I guess either they, they saw me on the news or they read about it. And so, you know, my uh, my co- my workers will, will call me and say, hey, we got someone here that wants to know about Bitcoin, so I'll run over there. Because luckily all the businesses are within kind of like a three-block radius. Right. So it's it's something to where I can easily kind of maneuver myself around. Man, that's pretty neat. Sounds like a great uh, community you have there. Do you ever tell people after you set them up with your wallet that one of these days I'm going to have to call you and ask you for a favor? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, actually, because when when we first started accepting Bitcoin, none of the employees knew what it was or how to accept it or what to do with it. And so um, I did kind of these mini training sessions with everyone in terms of, you know, just kind of on the very, very basics of it in terms of, you know, and obviously just how to accept it. And uh, a few of them actually picked it up very early on and so they've you know they definitely benefited from it uh thus far so they've been pretty happy so far so here in nashville i'm working on getting one retail spot to accept bitcoin the guys agreed to accept bitcoin as soon as he moves his store so we're excited we're going to have kind of a flash mob with our bitcoin meetup group here and go and support the business try to get the media out there and then you know once we get one we'll try to get another one and try to get another one and do what uh, some people are calling a bitcoin zone sounds like you guys really have have a good Bitcoin zone there uh, in the city. Now, when you accept Bitcoin at one of your stores, are you using one of the payment platforms, Coinbase or BitPay or one of those? Uh, when we first did, I did go with, uh, I went with BitPay. Coinbase hadn't started their merchant services yet at that point. Uh-huh. So BitPay was probably um, really the only choice at the time. So I went with them initially. And then, you know, I think it's a great, you know, using a payment process is great when you're starting out and not really knowing, you know, what to do in terms of how to allocate it in a way or also you know i think the biggest deterrent for small businesses to accept bitcoin is the volatility of the market Mm -hmm. and you know payment processes are nice because they take away that risk by you know converting it to u.s dollars as soon as you receive it so it takes away that risk aspect of it um so it's great for in that regard but when it comes down to it i think if you have a general knowledge of it and how to accept it then you know it's not is, is it really needed i don't think so right now i don't use any payment processors when we accept bitcoin so i just set up uh, each store has an individual online wallet i see so from the merchant's perspective that requires some faith in bitcoin right because you're no longer protected by bitpay or coinbase so you know the volatility, any gains or any losses, the merchant, you, you're going to have to you're going to be the one to accept that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've always kind of been a believer in it just in terms of, you know, how the Bitcoin network is and the protocol works is uh, one of the main reasons why I think it has the best chance. But yeah, there's definitely an added risk by doing it in that fashion. But again, you know, it's it's one of those situations to where, you know, I, I've spoken to a number of business owners in the neighborhood that have asked me about it. And, you know, I tell them, you know, each business is different, you know, but a lot of people will look at Bitcoin now as an investment vehicle. I look at it, you can look at it, you know, purely as a payment vehicle, just like Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. It's just another option that you give your customers to make a payment. Um, and so, you know, that's the way that uh, I try and tell other business owners to look at it is not look at it as an investment, you know, as a, um, a skeptical investment, but just look at it as a payment vehicle. And if you're worried about the volatility of it, you know, there are payment processes there to take away that risk aspect of it. Yeah. And then what are some of the benefits of using it as a payment? Uh, one is going to be the fact that it's simple. It's easy to use. There's no chargebacks. Um, it's definitely lower in fees. For example, you know, I had one customer, he, you know, he came in and I don't know how it is in Nashville, but like in Brooklyn or smaller communities here in New York, a lot of places that accept credit card will have minimum. Mm-hmm. And, um, so like, for example, we would have a $10 minimum for our, uh, 
our credit card machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem is, is, you know, if someone comes in and wants to buy, you know, let's say a gallon of milk and that's like, you know, three or four dollars, normally they wouldn't be able to use a credit card if they didn't have cash. But because the fees are so much lower on Bitcoin that, you know, we were able to process that. So in terms of things like that, the benefits, you know, it's cheaper. There's no chargebacks. And I mean, those two aspects alone just it beats out credit cards every day. Well, that's interesting because, you know, everybody's got a different definition of what a micropayment is. In Brooklyn, $5 is a micropayment. <laughs> um, well, so let me ask you this, Dan. We've referenced your area being a Bitcoin zone. And that was something that Anthony Gallippi with BitPay talked about with us on the show about the benefit of creating a Bitcoin zone, which you've done. And so give us more advice to other people that might want to create a Bitcoin zone in an area they're at. You know, what advice would you have for starting a Bitcoin zone and and how it's been a benefit in your area? Right, because we want a Bitcoin zone here. And I'm sure many of our listeners listening in in small towns all over the United States and medium-sized towns and just neighborhoods in Chicago or where have you, I'm sure that there are people who want to have a Bitcoin zone and don't know how to start. I think the biggest thing is really the fact that I guess the biggest hurdle for someone that wants to utilize Bitcoin in terms of as a consumer is obviously getting the business to accept it. And, um, you know, from a business owner's standpoint, obviously is, you know, you don't want to take on too much risk, especially for when you're taking payment on goods or services that you're providing. You know, but the, the truth of the matter is if you were to take Bitcoin as a payment protocol and, com- you know, let's say you have cash, you have checks, you have credit cards and you have Bitcoin and you have those four payment options and you put all four payment options in a paper bag so you didn't know which one was what and you were to list the pros and cons for each one, you know, almost 10 times out of 10, every business would actually choose Bitcoin. Uh, because if you have checks, there's almost no small business that accepts personal checks anymore. With cash even, you know, a lot of places here in, in Brooklyn or in New York, you know, won't accept $50 bills or $100 bills because of the counterfeit issues. Credit cards, obviously, you know, every, every type of currency that you can imagine will always have an inherent risk. You know, whether it be counterfeits, whether it'll be chargebacks, whether it be fraud or anything like that, there's there's always going to be an inherent risk when it comes to currency. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing with Bitcoin, what's nice about it is, is actually it's a it's a simple payment system directly from consumer to merchant. So you take out the whole third party aspect of it, which yep. is nice, which is, you know, which, which is what cash does. So when we're running the sales through the point of sale systems, we treat it like cash. So it gets rung up the same way. At the end though, the only difference is, is instead of processing it like a credit card payment or a cash payment, we actually process it as a check. So that lets us know which payments were received in Bitcoin because we don't accept checks. So when you accept a payment in Bitcoin right now, there's basically no charge or there's a, a small transaction fee, a mining fee on there. And so, you know, whereas if you were to accept a credit card, there's at least 3% on the card, right? Correct. Plus, the the funny thing is, is, is credit cards is a convenience that you know, business owners provide for the consumer. It's actually geared solely for the consumer benefit because like if we take a payment through credit cards, you know, we don't see that money for anywhere from 24 to 48 hours, um, you know, after the transaction's already been settled. And then just to accept credit cards, you have statement fees, processing fees, uh, merchant fees. Uh, I mean, there's tr- transaction fees. I mean, there's there's quite a number of fees. And then on, not only that, if you don't hold on to your receipts, there's a potential for chargebacks, which means that, you know, let's say a couple months down the road, someone disputes a charge, you have, you know, the money gets taken out of your account first, and it's on you as a business owner to provide proof that that transaction was legitimate. Well, I guess one of the things that I was thinking about is at the point at which Bitcoin starts fluctuating within a 3% margin, you know, at least over significant lengths of time, then it's going to be a bit of a no brainer that that's a risk worth taking, you know, you'll be operating within the margin that you would have lost on credit card sales. That's right, true. right. That's true, too. You know, Dan, I have a question for you. So tell our listeners, they come into one of your businesses, let's say they come in to get a pizza and they order the pizza and they take out their phone or their pad or whatever, and they're going to pay with Bitcoin. As soon as they pay with Bitcoin, they scan your QR code, I assume, right? And they pay with Bitcoin. As the merchant, are you worried about the verifications? Are you worried about the time it takes? Or do you assume that it's going through once you see that it's that the transaction is complete? Well, I don't actually, we don't wait for confirmation. So as soon as, soon as it goes through, we, we, you know, we, we don't have them wait around. Um, I've never had a case ever of any 
type of mishap in that regard. No case of double spends or anything like that. So, you know, if it was for large, large amounts, then I would, you know, possibly maybe wait for a confirmation or two. But, you know, for, for daily transactions, I, I, I don't even have them wait for one. So as soon as it goes through, as soon as we get the notification that the payment was sent, then we consider it done. Okay, okay. But what about the super deluxe triple layer pizza with the pepperoni and the mushrooms <laughs> and the onions on it? Oh, you're killing me. I'm getting hungry. Cut it out, Lidge. Coupled with the nails next door. <laughs> well, the I can tell you that our largest single purchase was probably close to 300 and the same situation I didn't wait for confirmation my viewpoint is really the the knowledge and the steps that you would have to take to do all of that um, for you know a 10 20 hundred dollar transaction I just feel it's just not worth it hey Dan thank you so much for joining us on the show and for enlightening us about your Bitcoin zone right there in Fort Green New York thank you so much Dan Lee it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I had a lot of fun. I thank you guys very much. Take it easy. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to our guests on today's show, Paul Vigna and Dan Lee. We would also like to give a special thank you to one of our sponsors on the show, Mic Tech, the Nashville company that provides our microphones. We have been using the fabulous PM9 microphones for our podcasts since day one, and we owe our award-winning sound to Mic Tech. To find out more about our guests and sponsors, visit our show notes at bitcoinsandgravy.com, episode 12. Thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate your time and attention. Hey, Lidge, let's also give a special thanks to our friends in Southern California listening in on station KCAA, 1050 AM. Tune in Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific time to hear new episodes of Bitcoins and Gravy. And make sure to catch more great shows from the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network airing all week right here on KCAA, 1050 AM, or download all the podcasts from letstalkbitcoin.com or directly from iTunes. And remember the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline. Have you ever wanted to be a podcaster? Then call us at 615-208-5198 and leave us a message with your comments or questions. If you give us permission, we'll put you on the show. So call anytime, 615-208-5198. That's right. That's the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave a review or comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. Let us know what you like or where we can improve. And remember, it's your reviews that help new listeners discover Bitcoins and Gravy, plus all the other great shows on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. And it's your generous tips that allow us to create the shows. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. And you've been listening to Bitcoins and Gravy from East Nashville, Tennessee.